Well, McCarthy and Biden have not reached any conclusion and markets are biding their time. Get it? Yeah? Uh, All right then. And just as divided, the Fed, although there does seem to be a general acceptance that central banks will go higher, like the RBNZ tomorrow, it seems likely that we won't just get one more rate hike. There'll be more to come. And PMI day today. Loads of them. So will services cool and manufacturing pick up? That's the hope. It's Tuesday, the 23rd of May, 2023. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, a very mixed day for US equities with a 0.4% fall in the Dow at close and a half percent rise in the NASDAQ. The S&P hanging on just to stay in the green, just 0.2% off it. And the Russell 2000 uh, up 1.2% this morning. Real estate and energy doing well. Consumer staples losing out the most. And the Eurostox 50 closing down a quarter percent, but the FTSE 100 up 0.2%. Bond yields are climbing higher, up four basis points for 10-year treasuries, up three for German 10-year bunds. UK gilts up seven basis Basis points this morning. Aussie 10 years uh, were flat yesterday, but up a few basis points on futures overnight, up to 3.62%. Not much movement in the US dollar on the DXY. It is up 0.4%, though, on the Japanese yen. But otherwise, no big currency moves. The Aussie marginally down, but stuck around 66.5 US cents. And oil is up a half percent, lifting WTI. Brent is up 0.4% to just below 76 a barrel. So nothing yet on the debt ceiling. Here's JB Weir's Sally Ald this morning. The House Rep, uh, Speaker McCarthy, has said nothing has been agreed yet. Uh, we could get a deal tonight, he says, or we could get a deal tomorrow. But he said he thinks uh, they can get it all to happen by the debt deadline. Uh, so uh, does that mean he's going to cave in? If I look at his Twitter feed, Sally, uh, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of rhetoric there as though, uh, you know, he's a man who uh, is going into bat and doesn't want to compromise. Well, I guess he's he's probably got a few different stakeholders to to, uh, to think about. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, and maybe uh, that that's why... He's uh, a little bit, a little bit more one-sided on on Twitter, and we hope maybe a little bit more reasonable behind closed doors. But you're right; we've we've sort of uh, had some ups and downs around the debt ceiling in the last few days. At the end of last week, it it looked like we were moving in the right direction, and markets, I think, got reasonably optimistic. And then um, a bit of disappointment through the weekend, and now, as you said, it feels like a deal is potentially um, back on. Um, and I think, in some respects, is might just be due to the practicalities of it in the sense that most people are sort of working on the assumption that June the 1st is the deadline um, for the X date, as it's as it's called. Um, and if you sort of work backwards and think about all the sort of stuff that's got to happen before then, um, it sort of feels like practically I think the negotiators are almost going to need a deal in principle um, either later today our time, so Monday afternoon, uh, New York time or Washington time, and or or maybe maybe Wednesday. Um, and this is because you know they've got to do the deal. They've been, then got to put it into legislative text, and then you have to go through the process of you know the the con- congressional procedures. Um, and McCarthy has basically said to to hold a promise he made um, a while back, saying he would allow the House Republicans seventy two hours to read the bill. So all this stuff sort of has to be fit it in um, before the 1st of June, and and that might be why uh, we could be getting closer uh, to a deal. Well, we just, we, I mean, we just hope it does get resolved. If it doesn't, and, and then I'm imagining we're going to see quite a, quite an extreme reaction, although, you know, markets are, are, are treating it, I mean, you know, there's not a great deal of, of response to it all today, really. No, not really. Um, and it sort of feels like, 
I think that's largely because it's in the price. Um, and so, as you said, markets don't appear to be overly worried about it. Um, and there does seem to be this working assumption that um, effectively what will happen is that the deal will get done and, and you know, on, on will move. So, you know, every piece of research I've read, everyone sort of says it'll go down to the wire, but it'll get done. Then we can get back um, to so talking about, but getting back to talking about the Fed ad, ad nauseum then, can't we? Uh, the <laughs> inter- right. Interesting on, te- on stocks, tech doing really well today. Uh, Meta shares are, are up, even though the uh, European Union has handed them a 1.2 billion euro fine for mishandling user information, and and, and they've put a timetable for a ban on passing information from Europe back to to the US, and yet their share price rises up. That's a that's a bit curious, isn't it? We won't dwell on that though. Let's let's talk about the Fed, because uh, uh, again, just as uh, just as you know, the negotiations are, are divided over the uh, the, the debt ceiling. Uh, the Fed is just as divided. So James Bullard talking about two more hikes may be needed this year and Kashkari saying well if they pause that'll probably be it and Mary Daly overnight not really giving much away at all other than saying well you know it's a while away till the next meeting and we are data dependent. Yeah that's right so it does sort of feel like you know we are getting a little bit more variety of opinions from Fed officials. Um, it does seem to be that everyone is is now reasonably centred on, on this idea that the Fed is going to pause at their next meeting in June um, and of course Fed Chair Powell made comments that were sort of broadly supportive of that view. Um, but I think what they are trying to say is just because we pause in June doesn't mean we're done and doesn't mean we're about to, to cut rates. Um, and I guess, you know, if you, if you just sort of ignore some of the noise and focus on the fundamentals, you know, US data has actually been reasonably good in the last little while. So retail sales were better last week. Housing looks like it's stabilising. Um, you know, jobless claims spiked up and they came back down. Um, so up until this point, all, all the data seems to, I guess, suggest that the US economy has got maybe a bit more momentum in the second quarter than most economists thought. And so, you know, I think ultimately, um, if that's if that's the case, and the US economy is a bit more resilient to the 500 basis points of rate hikes that have been delivered so far, then it, it is quite possible that, that the Fed is back um, to do more because that sort of trajectory for the economy won't be consistent with inflation coming back to 2%. Well, is the RBNZ going to do more? I mean, they, they don't meet till, I mean, obviously, they're a lot sooner than the uh, the next Fed meeting because it's happening tomorrow. Uh, there seems to be uh, rising concerns about the inflationary impact of government expenditure, just as we've been talking about in Australia. So 25 basis points is factored in uh, for tomorrow, but is it going to be a hawkish 25 basis points? It's going to take it to five and a half percent but some people are predicting they might even get up to six percent this year yeah that's right so it was interesting um you know the budget last week was more expansionary than most economists had anticipated and so most of them responded to that by chucking another rate hike into their forecast and so as you said the market's um basically fully priced for a 25 basis point rate hike this week and there is some chance um, that they could go 50 as well. There are some forecasters saying we might get another 50 basis point rate hike from the RBNZ. So, um, you know, th- this is sort of quite interesting because um, they are um, they were one of the, the first central banks to start the normalisation process and they have been consistently pretty aggressive the whole way through. Um, and now I think, you know, whether they go 25 or, or 50 later this week, you're going to have one of the highest 
policy rates um, in in the developed markets complex. Well, so, the RBA is never going to catch up, are they? You know, if it, if it was a race, you wouldn't want it to be a race, but if it was a race, I mean, there's nowhere in the world you're going to catch up. I mean, and yet, interestingly, uh, you know, just last August, RBNZ, I mean, they were predicting that they were going to peak around 4%. I mean, if they mm. get, if that was August, it wasn't that long ago. No, and I think this is really interesting because this is, it's starting to become a bit of a pattern, right, where we think, oh, well, the central bank must be done at, you know, whatever level, and then um, it's not like sort of 18 months later they're higher. It's like three to six months later we're saying, oh, no, actually that, that that's not enough. They, they need to do more. And I sort of feel like that's the message for investors in all of this, which is let's just not get complacent about, you know, where these central banks might start to, to peak out on rates because it feels like uh, for whatever reason um, – there's resilience you know, maybe, in, the, in the economies. Yeah, you know? there's resilience yeah. in in economies, and and the message is that you know central banks might actually have to do a bit more than than people expect. And so in Australia, I think it's interesting because, um, as you said, our cash rates sort of well behind you know where it is in New Zealand and and the US. Um, and there is a pretty vocal cohort of investors who say like you guys are actually no different to anyone else, and you know you're you're sort of living in fantasy land if you think that you can get out of this with a cash rate with a three in front of it. It's more likely to have a four, possibly a five. Um, And so in that context, I thought it was interesting in the RBA minutes where they started to sort of float this idea around quantitative tightening, saying, oh, look, we had a discussion about it. You know, basically the plan is no no change um, for the time being. We're just going to let the balance sheet run off like we said we would. But we are going to revisit this again. And so I just sort of felt it was maybe putting the market on notice saying, well, if we feel like it's getting difficult to lift rates more just simply because of the noise that creates, then we might have to revert to balance sheet policy to to do the additional tightening we think is required. Yeah, interesting. And on that resilience, I mean, in the UK, you know, where we keep on getting told that the, the economy is in a bad way, you know, still people shopping and London's still as crowded as ever, mind you, and house prices, we saw house prices, continue, well, picking up in, in, in the UK yesterday. Yeah, so they were up 1.8% um, in May, and I think this is this is a bit of a global phenomenon. We're seeing it in Australia. Um, we've started to see house prices turn around in Canada, and we're seeing it in the UK as well. And I think, again, it potentially speaks to the resiliency on household balance sheets, and that might be you know, a bit of a hangover of all that stimulus that was delivered into the household sector through COVID. Um, it could also just be a consequence of you know, some of these economies are running reasonably elevated migration rates, you know, particularly Australia, um, possibly Canada as well, um, and that could be having an impact on, on house prices. Or it might just be that the lags between what central banks do and what happens to house prices are just shorter than people expected. So um, I think this is going to be potentially interesting for central banks, you know, particularly in Australia where we know that housing has big multiplier effects on the broader economy. Yeah, people are perhaps just taking a longer-term view, just thinking, well, if interest rates are going to go down, if house price, you know, we'll, we'll buy anyway. Uh, you know, they have to go down at some point perhaps. And, if, you know, we we'll, we'll keep on hearing about these savings that people have got stashed away. So, you know, mm. who knows how it's playing out. But like you, we were talking yesterday about, uh, we were getting very excited about the new opportunities for Japan, you know, the new un-China where people are going to be investing. And then no sooner had we said that, machinery orders came in, big fall, down 3.9% month on month on top of a 4.5% fall the previous month. So, you know, maybe it's not happening yet. Uh, quite a move down in the yen as well. Uh, and, and I, you know, it's in, in going to be interesting to see where they go in Japan because obviously it all rests on whether 
whether the Bank of uh, Japan changes direction. Uh, inflation is still a ray, but no signs of a pivot there, is there? No, not yet, although it feels like we are we are starting to get some movement. Um, so I think the market's sort of on notice that, you know, the, the sort of endless decades of, um, you know, super easy policy in Japan are, are probably over. What's really interesting is is how well the Jap- Japanese equity market is is performing. You know, it's been one of the better better uh, equity mm. markets globally so far this year. Um, and I think you know we might start to see a bit more correlation between the performance of the Nikkei and and weakness in the yen. And the story there would be one where you have offshore investors who are sort of re-embracing the whole Japanese equity market story, um, and they are hedging those purchases of, of the Nikkei. Um, and so what that basically means is as the Nikkei rises, they're going to have to sell more yen. Um, and so it's quite possible mm. that, you know, even even despite the Japanese economy doing better, the inflation regime looking like it's starting to to become more positive and, and shifting um, towards sustainably higher inflation in Japan, that you could still sort of exist in this world where, um, the yen just remained structurally quite weak, this time due to uh, those hedging flows from offshore investors. Generally, though, not a lot of data around today's. I mean, uh, you know, European consumer confidence a little worse than expected. It's gone from minus 17.5 to minus 17.4. So, wow, an improvement <laughs> of 0.1. But uh, it was expected to reach the dizzying heights of minus 16.8. So it's uh, underperformed a little, mind you. It was minus 28.7 in September, so it's a climb back of sorts. Uh, but let's not dwell on that. Let's look at PMIs today, because lots of them today. So this is quite an important day, really. Uh, Europe, Germany, UK, US. Uh, I think the great hope is that manufacturing might pick up just about everywhere and get above 50. Um, maybe over 50 is a tall order. There's a bit of a way to go. Uh, but uh, And perhaps those service numbers will cool a little, which could help keep inflation in check. I mean, the UK services was 55.9 last time. Yeah, super strong. And and that's a, a pattern that we've seen in, in a lot of economies where the manufacturing or the good sort of producing sector in the economy is looking a bit lacklustre. Um, but the services part of the economy is is looking really robust. Um, and so that's sort of the case in the UK. It's the case in, in the US, um, also in Europe. And I guess, you know, economists would probably say, look, that's feels like a bit of a, a cyclical imbalance that that's not going to not going to last. Um, and the story there, I think, really has to revolve around falling inventories. And so this idea is that, you know, through through 2023 so far, um, you know, global demand has held up pretty well um, and inventories have been run down. And so I think the dynamic that some people are looking for is that that's actually going to spur a lift in production in the goods sector to rebuild those inventories. And so you'll sort of reduce that imbalance between you know, the strength in services and the weakness in, in manufacturing. Now, that's probably not going to happen in, in today's numbers, but I think that's the way that some people are expecting the trajectory of these PMIs to play out over the next. Sort of well, we'll keep an eye on that, and we'll keep an eye on what's happening with uh, with the, with the debt ceiling. I was just looking at Kevin McCarthy's just tweeted: the president's got to get serious. It's ten days out from him defaulting on the debt. Well, if if he's planning on the ten days, and you're reckoning it's got to be sorted out over the next day, we might have a problem. Might, might we? They might be working to the wrong timetable. Anyway, <laughs> yep, I think all that tells us not over yet. Yeah, it's not over yet. We know that for sure. Absolutely. All right. Very good. Uh, catch you again soon, Sally. Thanks. Cheers, Phil. Bye bye. And that's the morning call for this Tuesday morning. I'm Phil Dobby for Nab. Back again tomorrow morning. See you then.